Hello. Hello. Hello, patrons, special Hello, agents. Patrons. Welcome to our second episode of our true crime review. Yeah. We're back. What? 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 Cassie's just commenting on the grammar. <laughs> She's thrown some shade over she's there. Like, she's like, terrible like, at this. <laughs> That's like on last. She watched week. me struggle to get this to record, and she decides to interrupt thirty seconds in. That was like when she was, uh, she was hating on your transitions in the episode oh, this week. She really would not let up <laughs> on my segues. <laughs> Everyone's a critic. Everyone's a critic. Everyone's a critic. But yes, we are back to review another true crime documentary today we're going to be discussing the latest in the netflix uh releases of the true crime world murder among the mormons uh i feel like it's worth just noting just kind of at the top you have a like a working knowledge of mormonism i feel like <laughs> i do i come to mormons and the the church of jesus christ of the latter day saints um with a very personal knowledge and personal experience um both of my brothers dated mormons in high school right i um, forgot about that yes and one of my good friends in marching band was a mormon so i know Mormons. Yes. She knows They have stuff. all since deleted me on Facebook. <laughs> Pretty much as soon as they graduated high school. It wasn't like a delayed thing or like a recent thing. They all um, the is, entire. It was kind of right away. <laughs> the entire Mormon church was just like, we're done with Kelly McMaster. Yeah, we're going to shun her. Please unfriend. Um, um, yeah. No, so- but I have my oldest brother, his, his like high school girlfriend, like serious high school girlfriend, was Mormon, um, so I would have been, I don't know, like fifth or sixth grade uh, mm-hmm. when they were going out, and when I was first exposed to what it is, um, and the whole family watched the South Park episode, which I think is what has made a lot of people aware of the Mormons. Um, but <laughs> did since the then, McMaster's family watch a lot of South Park? No. Okay. We watched that one episode. Okay. Um, because there was a lot of Mormon lore, and uh, yeah. We wanted to know more because we and, didn't know Mormons. And so you, you turned to South Park. <laughs> we turned to the source of knowledge, South Park. That's amazing. We watched that episode. Um, so if you've never watched it, I can recommend that episode. Um, yeah. But also, I mean, since then, I have listened to podcasts about it. I've always, you know, it's always kind of been there in my mind since yeah. then for the past 20 years. Um the podcast I listen to occasionally, I haven't really listened in a while, Oh No, Ross and Carrie, they do an investigation where they join the Church of Latter-day Saints yeah. and get as far as they can before they're found out. Um, they fully get baptized, so there's a long wow. series of episodes about that. So that helped me learn a lot about it Okay, um, because they come at it from a very 
very authentic place, I guess, because they genuinely go in and have these, like, actual experiences. Right, Not like how, like, we're just exploring from the outside. Right. So that's my experience with Mormonism coming into this docuseries that we watched, Murder Among the Mormons. I have also watched, there are lots of fundamentalist Mormon sects. Yeah, that's a whole different thing. Yeah. I mean, Warren Jeffs. The FLDS crosses fully over into the cult territory yeah absolutely absolutely that's that's a different beast really they are there is an episode of deadly cults on investigation discovery that's just about yeah the flds yeah so um there's also that branch but this particular docuseries is really just in your regular old run-of-the-mill mormons and what's interesting truly about the documentary i think and what i I maybe comes to my first critique is is well maybe not maybe it's not fully to a critique it the documentary really isn't about Mormonism so much so much as it's just the Mormon church is the environment in which this series of crimes takes place yeah and it's it's very much yeah like it's very much tie like you can't tell like the story it wouldn't have happened it was if it wasn't for like the existence of the mormon church because it's very tied up in that community but like it's not about mormonism like they don't even really no. go into mormonism no. at all other than in the very beginning when you see <laughs> the grade <laughs> a like 1970s what i can only imagine is like a like an educational like promo film that they yeah, had like made. like a promo PSA. Which is like a dramatic reenactment of Joseph Smith meeting the angel to be told yeah, to go dig up the plates. Hunting down the golden plates. Um, um, so yeah. yeah, I think like I'll- if you're coming to this, having either watched the documentary or not do- watched the documentary, but you don't really know anything about Mormonism, first of all, don't take our word for it. <laughs> No, nope. we are not experts. Conspiracy and we're also theorists, not seeking to offend. So if we get something wrong, and you happen right. to know that we're wrong, don't don't hold. If it any of us. my once friends that are Mormons, yes, are listening, yes, thanks um, for being a patron. Also, yeah, sorry we got it wrong. <laughs> but um, yeah, I I want to add um, the director of this film. Yes. There are several fun facts. His yeah. name is Jared Hess. There's someone else, but I don't remember his name. He's not as interesting. Um, Jared Hess also directed classic film Napoleon Dynamite. What a leap. That also was very formative at that time in my life when my brother was dating a Mormon. <laughs> but <laughs> for different um, reasons. In reading about him, I learned that he was raised Mormon. Okay. So that makes he's sense. He's coming then. at this and I think I think in watching this documentary, it benefited me that I knew I had a um an intermediate background knowledge of yeah. Mormons yeah. because they don't go into the Joseph Smith no. stuff enough. They and don't. Qu- like just how bizarre it is, the foundation right. of this religion. Yes. They just like, just kind of are like the gold plates, they book give of Mormon, you, there it is. They give you like a, like a two sentence summary of like what the foundation right. like they tell you who just like the Smith first is. paragraph from the wikipedia yeah like they tell you who joseph smith is 
they tell you he, you know, claimed to have been visited by an angel who told him to go dig up these gold plates in the woods and that right. that is what the foundation of Mormonism is. And that's it. Like, that's all you they give you. Because, right. but, and I think it The story be, is even wackier than the that. The story is even wackier. And, like, you don't need, again, I'm also coming right. from it. I right. don't think I have as much of a, as workable of a knowledge of Mormonism as, like, say you do. But, like, I've listened to quite a few podcasts. Last podcast on the left yeah. did, like, a yeah. four-episode, like, deep dive into Mormonism that mm-hmm. I've listened to. Um so, like, I had enough of the knowledge there to, like, have an understanding. I think it would be, I think to your point, it, for someone who maybe doesn't, who knows nothing about Mormonism coming into the documentary, I don't know that it would, the craziness that happens with what the documentary is actually about, I don't know if it would have as much of an impact yeah. if you don't understand, like, what it is that they're talking about, really, because... Yeah. So the whole premise of the documentary is that in the 1970s and 80s, there was this bizarre trend where (laughs) Mormon historical documents were like the thing that like they were a smash hit. (laughs) Like apparently the Mormons, uh, I think because they're such a young religion. Yes. Um, and they point that out in the first episode that it's quite young. Like, Joseph Smith was 19th century. Like Yes, like early 1800s, uh, yes. Like, manifest destiny times. Right. Um, which is why they go that direction and they yes. base themselves in Utah. But, yes. Um, it's, it's recent enough that their historic documents and founding documents mm-hmm. exist and can be found. It's yes. not like... like if someone finds, like, a shred of a cloth that could have been Mary Magdalene's, it's freaking huge. But, like, <laughs> yeah, Mormonism, there's more of a treasure trove. Like, there's a, right. a lot more, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't know. There, there's a lot more stuff to go around. There's, a, there's more business to be made than any other sort of religious relics. Like, yes. other religions are so much older, um, so it's a lot more difficult to, like, find something that's really spicy right well because i guess the thing is is like with with mormon documents like historical documents the pool with which you're like you're fishing in is smaller because i feel like there's only like a handful of um of people who were contemporary to the founding of Mormonism that would be would have been creating documents that people would want to right. see. So typically it's like anything that Joseph Smith wrote, it's like, oh my gosh, like we need to get our hands on that. Right. But it's and also it. like they talk about like documents written by his mother, like documents right. written by his brother, documents written by people who were early followers of kind of got in on the ground floor of Mormonism. Like those are the kinds of documents that they're looking for. And so the holder of most of these documents, of course, is the Mormon church, which is based in Salt Lake city. They're a largely secretive religion. If you don't know that, like you have to be a Mormon who's been baptized to actually even be able to enter the temple. Yes. Like the heart of the temple. Right. Um, So it's, which makes it it's, different uh, from your from your major religions of right. Christianity, you know, Islam, you know, Judaism. Though you right, know, they're that level more like doors are open, everyone's welcome, right. It's like, thing. hey, we like come on in. We're gonna. T- I mean, like Christians love to tell you everything. Like <laughs> they're right, not holding right. anything back. They want everybody to know what's going on. And technically, um, the Mormons are Christians. Yes, 
Which but is another weird they're thing. They're very different. Yeah. We can all agree. It's a very it's its own thing. It's a very interesting connection to what, you know, most people would consider, you know, the main world religions, like the big three right. main religions. But it yeah, it's a very so it's a very interesting thing. Mormonism and the origins of it is interesting in and of itself. To Kelly's point, simply because it is a very young religion and it's, it's a little baby. It's a baby religion and it's it's and it's like Scientology. And it's secretive. And so I think naturally so secretive. It's naturally people on the outside of something like that are going to be interested because as human beings, our brains are wired to just be like, what is, what is in, what's going right. on in like, there? We love the Masons because we don't know what they're doing in there. Right. Like we don't know. It's, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's like, you've got them. It's like, it's probably at the end of the day, really not that interesting, but we all have FOMO yep. because we don't know what's Absolutely. going on. And so it may, we build it up in our brains to, to be more exciting than it is. Yeah. But anyway, so you have this, um, this trend that is apparently happening in the seventies and eighties where just like wheeling and dealing in Mormon documents is big fucking business. And it's like, yeah, it's a hot biz. To it's be like, in there's lots of Lake money City. to be made. And so they interview all these people in the document and documentary who were, you know, active in that scene yes. <laughs> at the time. And it's not, not, a lot of them are Mormons, but not all of them, I don't think. Right. Like, some of them are one just... Of the, there's one I can think of that, like, really sticks out as not being Mormon. Which one? But um, the one with the deeper voice. I can't remember what his name was. Mm. In, like, the dark shirt. <laughs> That's not helpful. I want to say it was Brad, but I'm not sure. Mm. I don't know. Um, but he yeah. had glasses. So it's a... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not Rust. Yeah, not yeah, yeah. The guy Shannon. who's, like, the... Histo- he's technically a historian, Right? I think so. Yeah, yeah, I know who you're talking about. Um, he's the one who, like, initially, yeah, he's, like, the friend of his that is, like, initially, yeah. like, and he couldn't have done him. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm on board with you. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So, anyway, so it's, like, this interesting, like, group of all men, just as, like, a, of course. it's all men. The Mormons all are naturally <laughs> patriarchal. Um and so it's, yeah, it's a, it's, some of them are Mormons, some of them are not, others are just kind of um, people who are either historians or, you know, they, they work at archives or they, you know, that's mm-hmm. how they make their money is rare books or, you know, things like that, like yeah. rare copies of, you know, early editions of books and things like that. And so they introduce you to this world of that's what's going on kind of in like the late 70s, early 80s. And... um then they introduce you to this specific guy who's kind of the center of everything. And it's a guy named Mark Hoffman. And he is a Mormon. Mm-hmm. He was raised Mormon. He grew up in Salt Lake, in the Salt Lake City area. And he is, like, described as, like, the archival wonder kid. Like, he just, like... <laughs> He finds it all. Yeah, he finds. He is like you name a founding father. He's got something that dude has touched or signed. Yeah, and everyone's like, like, you want a book? He's got it. Yeah, he's a he's just a nerd, but he's just like he's so lovable. Everybody loves him, and he's so great. And like he just was so good at hunting down documents. Like he could find all sorts of historical documents that like nobody could find. And it's like right away. If you're watching this, like, I just, like, I don't know. To me, it was like the little red flag was coming up of just kind of like, well, why is he so good at it? Like, what do yeah. you mean, like, he's so My good at it? Like, okay. Like, that's immediately, a you're like, forgery. That's, that's sus. Like, it doesn't under, like, <laughs> like, you can't, you don't just, like, 
Like, nobody has a track record that good when it comes yeah, to finding no. historical At best, documents. you're going to find, like, three founding father signatures in your life. Exactly. And so that At is the thing. Best. Is that he's like, they're like, he found Paul Revere and Betsy Ross. <laughs> and, like, they're just naming all these big names. And you're like, there's no fucking way. And they're all sitting right. there being like, yeah, and just like, I mean, documents that hadn't been seen for Year, decades and 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 centuries and he's just finding them left and right and just immediately you're like that doesn't make sense but okay yeah the, what i'm thinking about now as someone who like you and i have backgrounds in like museums and history and like studying all of this yeah did he have to provide any freaking provenance for any of this like i'm thinking about like like the of uh, oath of a free man yeah like, so he finds, finds, air quotes, this document called The Oath of a Free Man, which is supposedly, like, the first printed thing in the New World. Yeah. Like, made on a colonies, printing press. Like, Jamestown yeah. times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, like, did he not have to be like, here's where I found it, and here's why I think it's authentic. No. Like, all that shit you have to do. I think... I guess it was a different time. We didn't have the same sort it, of level of professionalization or, like, It was a different time, but I also think more so than that, I think it was a couple of things. I think it's the community in which he was dealing was a small enough community of people that I don't think... It was at there wasn't there was no oversight. There was nobody yeah. who was saying like, OK, you have to prove X, Y, Z. You need to be able to present whatever kind of documents to prove where you got this. But also because it was a small community, it's like they all knew each other. Everybody knew him. And he was right. described as being such kind of like an affable, like great guy that I think they all just thought he like couldn't possibly be like making them look like idiots. But also right. like he was he's definitely a sociopath so i think that like he was also very good at like convincing them that he didn't need right. to present that kind of stuff right the deception was his favorite thing right and also i'd say probably in that field and in that area there's a strong confirmation bias of like yes. you want that to be authentic so you're going to look for the things that make it authentic well and um, let's also remember that the people my understanding from the documentary they, is that the people that he's dealing with and the the trades that he's making, they're, they're private collections. They're private, right. you know, people who kind it's of do museums, this on this. Right. Like, he's not, not he's libraries. not trying to take shit to the Smithsonian and pass it off as, like, a Betsy Ross right. letter. Like, he's just he's, looking to make a buck. He's just looking to make a buck. It's all private collections. It's all people who kind of wheel and deal in this circle in these types of documents. And then I do think that as, the, as his reputation started to take off, I think there was a level of just, like, people were so, like, quote, like, in awe of him that they didn't even want to question where he was getting this stuff. Because it was just like, oh, my God, it's so amazing that he's doing this. Like, there's so much money to be had and whatever he's found. So, so anyway, so they kind of introduce him and he's, he's, you know, he's collecting all these things. He's trading them. He's making money off of them. But he, his big, his big discovery is... Mormon is Mormonism related. What's the first mm-hmm. thing that he finds that it's such a big deal? The salamander. Is letter. it the salamander letter? Okay. And well, so yeah, 
Right. Because he. Yeah. Yes, it is. Because that's, that's the first thing they really want. It like causes a huge stir. It's totally groundbreaking. Yes. And the reason it's. So what the content of the letter is, is that he claims to have found this letter that was written um, by Joseph Smith. By Joseph. Right? Yeah, I think so. Um, Describing how he finds the gold plates and in this letter rather than the accepted story that is in the book of mormon and is kind of the main kind of origin story which is that this angel appears to him and tells him where to find them in this letter (laughs) a a magical white salamander (laughs) appears and takes him to the plates and so you can imagine that it was shocking to a lot of people because it gets authenticated as real as being real and you kind i feel like the way you kind of have to think about it is like if you're christian like you it would be the equivalent of like there suddenly being a story that like mary was impregnated by a purple dragon and like that's (laughs) like freaking merlin showed up one (laughs) day and was like Hey, homie, I don't think you want to get on that cross. Come with me. (laughs) (laughs) Something like that. Like, think of any of, like, the major, like, stories and, you know, whatever religion you subscribe to or belong to. Like, imagine one of the just kind of, like, quintessential stories of that religion being totally turned on its head. And then there being, like, some kind of lizard involved. Right. It's, like, mythical. It's pagan-ish. Yeah. Like, magical. Even though... Like, I'm thinking about it now, and then I'm thinking, like, there's a lot of stories in the Bible that, like, are equally as ridiculous. Like, the burning bush. Like, the Tower of Babel. The freaking Ten Commandments. (laughs) You have to suspend your disbelief a little bit. Because, like, is the, I mean, yes, like, from from the perspective of of a skeptic or someone who is not religious, like... Right, a As freaking you know how a freaking I feel about demons. A freaking it's angel similar. showing up and being like, "I am Moroni," and being like, right. "Here is the go. You must go to the woods. Go to the woods, Joseph, and dig up these plates, and they will tell you the secrets of life." Like that's equally that's also ridiculous if right. you don't believe in that kind of thing. But anyway, so the point is though, is this letter just like sends shockwaves through the fucking Mormon Church, and so right. the Mormon Church immediately buys the letter from him like for right. a from for like a very large chunk of money right and they just want to they just kind of want to like take it they just want to sit it away <laughs> so and then whoever they, is like the head honcho of mormonism at the yes. time is like this actually like really solidifies what we already thought guys right. come on yes like we all agree right and so <laughs> It gets the documentary gets into a little bit of that of like the spin machine behind the Mormon church, which is these leaders in the Mormon church who panic when this letter is authenticated. They immediately buy it up and put it in their archive and hide it away. They won't let anybody else research it or look at it. And then they, yeah, they start figuring out ways like, okay, how can we take this and not and make it like less of a big deal than like a lot of people are are starting to make it because they like a lot of people in the Mormon church, like when this letter comes out, like essentially have like this crisis of faith of like, holy shit, like what do I believe? What is true and what's not like, holy crap. And so you can imagine for a young religion like the Mormon church, like that's 
a bad thing. Like that's a bad right, that's look. That's a bad press. <laughs> like <laughs> you're a bad look. Yeah, like it's a bad look and it's it threatens to really undermine any of the progress that they've made in terms of, you know, right. their religion and kind of their foundations in Salt Lake City. And so whatever. And so that's his big like Mark Hoffman's like big like moment that's like he becomes like this big celebrity i feel like in salt lake city everybody kind of knows who he is like he gets national attention for it like it's not just the mormons that are interested in this kind of thing like it was a national story that this letter had come out um but anyway so that's kind of like one aspect of this documentary and you think that like I don't know. I don't even know what after like partway into the first episode, I you're watching it and you're kind of like, I don't really know where this is going. Where does the murder yeah. come in? Like you're yeah. like, where? When's the murder happening? When this is called murder among the Mormons? Like what? Yeah. When do the Mormons kill each other? <laughs> yeah. And so then, and then they do, <laughs> and then they do because stuff starts to blow up in Salt Lake City, and so literally, literally, literally. I mean that literally. And so, like how Austin was blown up, like. A year ago, two years ago. So they... Clerman. Yeah. In, yes. In criminal <laughs> it's a Clerman situation. It's a Clerman situation where people are dropping packages at people's doorstep and they're exploding. Yep. Um, and so... So I guess I should back up a little bit, which is that so after he gets kind of this notoriety with the with the salamander letter, the next thing that he that Mark Hoffman comes up with is this like other collection of letters that I can't even remember what the name was. But the McClellan collection, which is this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's it's this big collection, like a full collection when you think of like an archival collection of. Yeah, it's not just like one piece of paper. It's like a bunch of papers, like journals, pamphlets, all that sort of stuff. All this like mormon shit yeah. that some dude in new york city has yeah and mark's like all right let's all suit up homies we're going to new york city and we're getting the fucking mcclellan papers yeah and so then he's and, like okay i have them like he somehow take right. quote unquote takes possession of them and the reason that they are potentially even more earth shattering than the salamander thing if you could imagine is because the McClellan papers, I think, purport that it was Joseph Smith's brother who found the golden plates, not Joseph Smith. So again, if you're going to put this in, like, the terms of a different, like, religion, like Christianity, like, that's like, oh, like, Jesus wasn't the savior, like, his brother Bob was the savior, (laughs) like... It's that kind of thing. Like, this kind of, like, earth-shattering claim that could basically, like, turn the entire Mormon church on its head of, like, right. what they believe is to be true. So, these papers are a big deal. And right. He's... And they... Go ahead. They <laughs> cause, like, a... There's a big uh, sort of scurry to mm-hmm. take ownership of the papers. Yes. So... The Mormon church is like, we want the papers. They want to be able to go through them, Mm -hmm. have their historians and archivists, like, go through them and find anything that's damning to get rid of it. Right. Before anything makes it to the press. Because the thing is, is that no one has actually seen this collection except Mark Hoffman. So he's just telling people what is in this collection and what it means. But no one has actually been able 
to see it. And so he's setting up this deal to be able to sell these papers. And of course, like the highest bidder is going to be the Mormon church because they have the biggest stake in the game to want to have access to these things. And they're a huge entity. Yes. They're huge. Yes. Like churches are billion dollar industries. Yeah, exactly. Um, Another like a like a little bit of like a it's not a B plot, but like a little underbelly to this is that he can't buy he can't afford them on his own Mm -hmm. because he's bad with money, which is another reason he needs to keep finding documents. Right. He goes in with this dude. Was it Alan Rust? Something Rust. Something like that. I think his name is Alan. Yeah. He so Mark asks Rust to help co-finance it. Mm hmm. So Russ takes out this huge ass loan, yeah, or credit line, yeah. And he puts it on his credit card. <laughs> to buy the whole thing's ridiculous because you're just like, what are your documents? Doing? Sort of hoping that a they're authentic, b they do what they're supposed to do and get a huge return. Yes, and like I think that's again, so Rust is tied up. That's what time. speaks to the whole kind of weird at play which is that they all just take what mark hoffman is telling them at face value which is like all right. he has to do is tell them oh i have this like big cache of like important documents like holy shit we're gonna get so much money for it and they're all just like okay like absolutely <laughs> um and so anyway so they set up this sale that is kind of going to be it's going to be facilitated by this other person who is like a businessman in what's his name something christian christensen his last name and he's a he's a businessman in uh in Salt Lake City and he's a Mormon he's part of the Mormon church and so he's going to kind of like represent the Mormon church in this sale and he'd been working with Mark Hoffman on it whatever and so that's where the murder like first comes in because the yes. morning that this sale is supposed to be happening and that Mark Hoffman is going to be showing this collection of papers to the first like set of eyes other than his Mm-hmm. Somebody delivers a package to, I think his name's Steve. Steve Christensen, maybe? Yeah, that sounds um, right. To his office door, and it fucking explodes. And yep. he dies. Kills him. And then later just that- Just him. Yeah, just him, It's which is kind of a miracle, because I feel is, like his secretary was there. what we find out later about what was- in, in the bomb. And, well, and he's ton of nails. His office is like is like on the sixth floor of like a business of like an office building. Yeah. Like there's other offices and stuff. And it, yeah, yeah, it's kind of crazy that like he's the only one that dies. Um, but then like later that day, another bomb goes off at a house in Salt Lake City. Um, and it turns out it's the home of Steve Christensen's like business partner or former business mm-hmm. partner or something yeah but he doesn't end up picking up the package his wife does and so she's killed yeah. when the when the package explodes and so now everybody's freaking out because they're like holy shit like we've got like a unabomber situation where which this is mm. pre-unabomber i guess but uh <laughs> where you know packages are exploding all now they've got two packages exploding in one day like nobody knows what the fuck's going on they keep talking and i feel like this is such a sign of the different times they keep talking about how it's like like they suddenly live in like a terrorist land and they're like it's like it's tehran and i was yeah, like and you're like okay wow what a different time in 2021 <laughs> where like this actually is pretty tame like, yeah it's, for domestic violence yeah and so which is sad yeah so you have these two explosions and it's like oh crazy like what's happening and then is it the same day or is it the next I day think it's like 
the next day or two days later. It's within the same week. Within the same week, they don't have any leads. They're trying to figure out what's like what's going on. Next thing you know, they're telling all the rare book dealers, "Hey, <laughs> someone might want you dead." They're trying to kill Get you. Out of town. <laughs> like there's a big conspiracy. So against yeah, the rare all book the rare, dealers. all the rare, <laughs> rare document people are like, "Shit, I well, gotta yes, go." Like get. Get the wife and the 20 kids and let's get out of here. That is what that is like one of the first connections that they're able to make is just all they know is that Steve Christensen that morning was going to be taking a meeting like about these documents. That's all they know. And so they kind of yeah. run in that direction. And the business partner was going to help finance some stuff on his end. So like he's also tied into it. So they're like, that has to be what it is. Like that's the business deal yeah. that they had most recently worked on. That's what he was like on his way to go do when he go pick goes and picks up the package like that has to be it and so of course like they i think they warn mike mark hoffman too because they're, i do yeah. yeah they know that he's the was the main guy that was yeah, going to be the selling these kid. things yeah he's the he's the he's the a team in the documents world uh <laughs> and so they tell him like oh you gotta be careful like whatever well lo and behold he goes to get into his car and his car his fucking explodes. What oh was my it? God. Some sort of sports car. It's like a 1980s sports car. It's like it electric blue, blue. Like electric blue. Yeah. <laughs> and his car fucking explodes. It and, explodes. And he's in it. And so. Like, what's the episode where the lady sits down on the bomb in Criminal Minds? And then uh, Morgan, like, pl- talks her down? Weird planet or whatever. Empty planet. Empty yeah, planet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Empty planet. Yeah. It's just like that. He goes to sit in, but he doesn't, he, <laughs> but do, he, does he doesn't have a, he doesn't have a Derek Morgan to help him right. through it. And so he explodes, but he doesn't die. He like Mm-mm. blows off a bunch of his fingers, like shatters a leg, <laughs> which they show you his fucked up fingers when he's in the, yeah. when it's gross. Um, but he doesn't die. And no, like, he does not, but the documents are in the back of his car. So they explode. And yeah, like, there's, so there's just like a lot of like charred <laughs> yeah, camera just yeah. like floating around. And so, okay, so now it's like it just feeds into this whole thing of just like, oh, like yeah, like somebody's going after the Mormon document dealers in Salt Lake City. Yeah. Like, what is going on? Like, they tried to take out Mark Hoffman, but oh my god, he survived! Like, what a miracle kind of thing. And so, like, long story short, because I feel like it's not even really worth like going into all of the like intricate details of like what happens essentially but they go through a couple down a couple different rabbit holes of like you know thinking that they might have different suspects they obviously very quickly assume that it's someone either in the mormon church or it's someone in this world of document dealers who's trying to take out other document dealers basically like it's so stupid (laughs) basically every single rare document dealer that we see that's giving an interview is at one point a suspect which like character gets marred i feel like it's worth like describing the type of men that we're dealing Mm. with here which is that like i mean i'm sure you can imagine when when i say document dealer to you but it's like we're talking about a lot of pot bellies we're talking about a lot of bad suits very bad and like some we got some beards, we've got some bad haircuts, like But they're all Salt Lake City Mormon people. So they're also yeah. just like weirdly not wholesome. <laughs> not simple. There's a word I provincial, maybe? <laughs> I mean, picture 
picture Mitt Romney, but Mitt Romney's a rare document stealer. Right. Like, that's what you're dealing with. Right. But with worse suits. Mitt right. Romney does have a decent sense of fashion. Like, I would argue that Shannon is maybe mm. the best dressed of them all. He's got, like, a three-piece suit with a pocket three-piece watch. Three-piece pocket watch. But here's what you need to understand. the of bellies. The of pot bellies. But you have to understand about Shannon, who is, like, he's a, he's a big character in this. He is a documents dealer but he's like b-level documents dealer like he yeah. was he was friends with mark hoffman and he like aspired to be yeah mark dude hoffman he, he had a real i here's my <clears throat> inference yeah shannon's a big gay person <laughs> and was deeply in love with mark hoffman yes but he's a mormon so he can't be himself yeah and so but he's wearing a th- but here's the thing that you need to understand about shannon if you, and if you've watched the documentary <laughs> you will know immediately what we're talking about which is that shannon talks like this yeah remember how we talked when we were doing our margaret or jillian anderson yes. as margaret thatcher impressions yes take away the british accent you have shannon Yes. It, yes. <laughs> it, but like more high pitched. I don't, don't want to make him out to be a hero. Like Matt, like it's a little higher pitched. Like uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> like that. <laughs> so it's very difficult to listen to because they interview him I a went lot. To New York, but I didn't have a drink. I didn't have a drink. Like, I didn't drink any alcohol. Yeah. <laughs> he puked his brains out. <laughs> it's so weird. So anyway, like a creepy clown. Yeah. So anyway. Really what it comes down to is after kind of investigating some different leads, they finally get a witness who sees someone dropping the package off at Can Steve Christian's, <laughs> Christensen's office. And then he's wearing the same type of jacket that Mark Hoffman wore. A green Letterman jacket. With no patches. That reminds me. Yeah. We didn't talk about one of the best characters, the cop. Slash <gasps> prosecutor. The prosecutor. <sighs> Something Delia. I do Chris? not remember his name, but here's but what I need, you need to understand. He's not a Mormon. <laughs> <laughs> he went to Salt Lake City so he could to ski. ski and get drunk. Yes. He's like, I moved there so I could ski. I had to also have a job so i became a pro- i was a prosecutor for like my day job but like that's not really why i was there i just wanted to ski and like have a good time and so he literally describes the fact that like the morning that the bombings happened you know he gets called into work and he's like i was hungover like <laughs> and i get told like we have this fucking bombing case and he's just like well shit i have to do my job today <laughs> he's like i just knew it was gonna go to my desk. yeah like he was just like this fucking sucks because what happens is like i mean this is a huge story in salt lake city initially they don't know like you know are there going to be more bombs does somebody at right. the one point con- he the bomber contacts the press i think and says that there's going to be so. more so you've got yeah, like, there's a, like real... a bomb threat called in somewhere yeah, yeah, yeah. there's so copycats there's there's, blah, blah, blah. there's all of this it's it's a big deal and so they form like this kind of like task force of like right as you do as things as you do yeah classic but it's like just the mo. It's like the freaking. It's the such a motley crew of people who are yeah. leading this investigation because it's it's a classic kind of thing in the true crime world too of like nothing like this ever happens here right and it's, it's like a Mormon paradise yeah like it's just like crazy and none of them have ever handled anything like this so it's it's nuts and of course then you know the longer it takes them to they don't really have leads for a while so they start getting criticized by the community of just like why are they not you know 
figuring out who did this. Like, how is this investigation going on so long? Like, blah, 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 blah. Uh, blah, blah, blah. But what it ends up being is they, they kind of hone in eventually on Mark Hoffman. And he becomes, yes. he becomes suspect number one. Big twist. Big twist. And it's like, holy shit, he blew himself up, which is... A little like George... George? George Foyette. Yes! Uh, Kind of. Kind of. Kind of. Like, he'll say later that he was genuinely trying to commit suicide. Yes. Uh, But they're kind of like, well, why'd you kill those other people if you were just going to kill yourself to get out of it. Right, right. And so then it's kind of like, okay. Nah, I don't think George forretted yourself. Yeah. Like he was it was all part of this larger thing cuz again, he's a fucking you wanted sociopath. To seem like a victim. Like he had a whole plan. And it comes back to like you said it's about the like he gets off on the deception. So like Yes. He like will say he said in interviews since being arrested that the deception is what he loves. Right. And so, yeah, again, to kind of just, like, skip ahead to the good parts, what it really is is, like, what they end up uncovering, of course, is something that they all should have known from the fucking get-go, which is that <laughs> Mark Hoffman is a master forger. Like, yeah, he... Literally the best forger The best in history. forger there's ever fucking been. And which is so weird. It's he just so figures weird. this shit out in his basement. He starts when he's like a preteen. Yes. He forges like Coins. a fancy coin. Yeah. And sends it to the US, the Mint. US Mint. And they're like, yeah, look at that. That's authentic. Here's some like, we'll pay you for it kind of thing. Like, this is how much yeah. it's worth. And he's like, shit. And like, <laughs> we were texting while we were watching this because we ended up kind of like watching it at the same time. Yeah. Uh, which is. The craziest thing about it is, like, this is, like, early 80s. Like, it's not a situation where he can just fucking, like, Google how to age documents. Like, he figures it out, like, on his own. Like... And he comes up with... He figures out how, like, like, crazy things that I feel like it would be so insane to even know that this is what happens to like aged paper right like the the thing about how the ink like burns through the paper right and he does that thing with the vacuum cleaner that like pulls sucks it the through ink to the back. underneath like it's so wild well that they do yeah they do say that he does he like also does actually deal genuine documents. Yes. And so that he doesn't is, forge them all. That so is he does the have genius. like a working knowledge. Well, that's the, it's the working knowledge, but it's also the genius of his cover, which is that right. he in the midst of these forged documents that he's kind of slipping in there in his sales, he is also dealing in real stuff. So right. there's a percentage of his sales that are legitimate. So like it le- it gives credence to his reputation and because right. his forgeries are so good there's it there's no reason that any other than the fact that i think he the, his his biggest mistake was that he went too many big names too often like yeah. if he was better at it and i'm sure that's just his ego at play and because he got desperate and needed more money so he right, obviously he was so in debt. needed to like fake you know more expensive documents but it's like I think if he had not done that, like, and he had just continued to forge just kind of, like, mid-level historic documents, like, he would have gotten away with it forever. Like, yeah, because no one would have had any reason to suspect that any of these things were forgeries. Like, at all. 
what even i don't even remember oh it's the oath of a free man yes. so the oath of a free man is the huge non-mormon thing that he has and he gets this other guy involved and they're become going to become millionaires yeah. if this thing is certified because a legitimate archive wants it he tries to sell it to some it's not just a private collector i feel yeah. like it's like a university i mean of course or something and so yeah. that's where he gets into trouble because Although they do authenticate it, don't they? They do. Yeah. The FBI. They send it to the motherfucking FBI yeah. to authenticate. And they're like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. That's the real bee's knees. But now I'm thinking about it. Is that what they send to the FBI or was something else something they sent to the FBI? I don't know. But they well, do authenticate the oath of a free man. And then yeah. later. Later. Our homie. They Throckmorton. Throckmorton is... <laughs> He's the hero of the story. Him and the other guy, which I can't remember his little buddy, which I can't remember his name. So sorry. But they are like, they are like the nerdy, like dynamic duo of this. Forensic document specialists. And they are the ones that are finally able to prove the forgeries. And so. Throckmorton like will not accept that this is real. Like the FBI comes back and they're like, no, it's, it's real. And he's like, bull fucking shit. Like he's like, it is not. He gets the he like gets something that Mark Hoffman sold and he is pouring they, over it. Well they get over they get so eventually when he becomes the main suspect, they search his house. And yes. so what they they don't really find anything super obviously incriminating either right. from the bombing perspective in terms of like him building a bomb, but also like the documents necessarily. They don't initially suspect. But what they what makes them suspect the documents is they start finding like records for someone named Mike Hansen in his house, right. and they track it to Ooh. a printmaker, like a plate maker, um, in Salt Lake City, and they find that he had the plate for the Oath of the Free Man yes. made, and that's and he was using a fake name, but they're able to track check like he literally wrote a it's check. Him. It's a check. Yeah, <laughs> remember when we got when people wrote checks, and so <laughs> that's how they trace it back to him, and that's what initially kind of is the red flag of like, oh shit, like this is the motive, like he's forging, yeah, he's faking, yeah, and so that's what forces them to then take all of his documents that he has, and Throckmorton, they start pouring over it. And what they ultimately figure out is they can put all, they start separating, they like look under on the mi- them under a microscope and they start to notice that like some of the documents, like the ink is cracking, like on the microscopic yes. level and some of them it's not. And so they start to like put, it's like, okay, all the documents that don't crack, like the ink is not cracked, like put it in this pile. All the documents that do have cracked ink, like put them in this pile. And eventually they're able to determine that the cracked ink is shit that he faked. And yeah, so it's, it's stuff that he has like anything that had come under his ownership. Right. Was cracked. Right. And then like the stuff like their control group. Yes. Was the of, stuff like, that wasn't cracked. documents from that time and from that area. They were not cracked. Right. So ultimately he has like they go into his like science lab like breaking bad scenario. Yes. Of like <laughs> and like, surprise basement. Surprise. He has a fucking room in his house that he wouldn't let his wife in, which yes. is like, you guys. That red flag. <laughs> spouses red flag. Of, a, of the world, whether you are a husband or a wife, spouses of the world. If your spouse has a room that they literally lock you out of and will not let you in for 
under any circumstance, that is a red fucking flag. You're married to a serial killer. You- <laughs> <laughs> this that is a fucking what's that fairy tale? Bluebeard? That's like a full on like Yeah. Fairy tale, don't go in the room or I'll kill you kind of thing. Like that's bad. Bad. Yeah. There's either bodies or some other criminal criminal activity happening it's inside all incriminating. that room. It's incriminating in there. Okay? And his poor wife oh, is Dory. Dory. She's sweet as can be and just like had no fucking clue what was going on. Married him when she was like 19. Just like As you do. As you do. And she's just like, well, it was just another room that I didn't have to clean. And it's just like, Dory, <laughs> Dory, no. They were happy. They had all these everything kids. they could want. Yeah. Like, he buys her all these, like a minivan. Because like, yeah. he makes so much money off the salamander letter and like all this other stuff. Like, they are riding pretty high like they have a nice house like all of this stuff but then of course like what comes to light is that oh actually in fact he was like living way beyond his means Uh, right which is he was just like like drowning in debt and everything yeah um yeah so it's him it's him he did it uh he's still alive he's still in prison yeah um they do a really fun slideshow at the end or they show him all yeah. they show you all of his prison photos for the last like it's for 10 weird. years and you just kind of watch him creepily age in a weird way yeah <laughs> it's very weird like a decade at a time but like what's um, interesting is like they like kelly said they they spend a good chunk of the last episode kind of explaining like how he forged these things which some of that is like very very interesting and he has like very weird technology and things that he basically invented to be able to do it what it ultimately comes down to is like he invented so the salamander letter is fake like yeah everything's fake essentially like the mcclellan never heard of the mcclellan collection never it existed. was just a bunch of bullshit it never That's what pushed him to the edge yes it was a bunch of bullshit like christensen was figuring it out like mm-hmm. they were all connecting the dots so he was like well like, like he could between a rock and a hard place so he over he over promised what the collection yes. was and you know you have to imagine like doing these kinds of forgeries takes a really long time and so right. before he would just be like oh i have this one page document like this one page letter like i here i'm gonna sell and so like that's one thing but he had this collection like kelly said it was like supposed to be a bunch of stuff and so it was a lot of stuff that he was gonna have to forge and for some reason like he made the mistake of being like oh yeah like i can get it all to you by x date and he didn't have it like he didn't have the documents they weren't completed yet or he didn't have them and so he like, comes to the time where he's like, I got to fucking give these documents to them so that they can authenticate them and make the sale. But he needed the money. So he was like trying to. And that's when it all just fucking goes to shit. Yeah. Yeah. That's why he also like he puts like f- other fakes in his trunk when he blows himself mm-hmm. up. Yeah. To make it seem like the McClellan papers blew up. Right. And so they won't be able to get them. Like, oh, whoops. They blew up. They're gone. They burned up. Too bad. Like, yeah. that sucks. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's this unbelievably crazy, like, elaborate scheme to cover up the fact that, A, he has forged all of these other things over time, but also to cover up 
the fact that he is you know he had over promised on these documents and they were all yeah. trying to figure it out and they all had kind of well, maybe we're gonna he was gonna get to the point where like they were definitely gonna figure it out um yeah. and so yeah and so then he kind of you know tries to essentially like fake his own death not fake his own death but like make it you know make it look like right. someone was get trying to kill him out of it yeah um which wasn't true but yeah so they and but then the crazy thing is like when they finally do figure it out like he just eventually like he admits it yeah he's just like okay although I he does take that before he finally admits it he take they give him a lie detector test and he passes oh, he it. passes it yeah because he what did they say he like he taught himself how to pass a lie detector yeah. test when he was like 14 yeah which is like who fucking does that yeah it's so wild and so what's interesting a lie detector tests are bullshit yeah i don't understand why they're still used so much yeah they're like thoroughly debunked so what's interesting and i guess like the way that it really kind of does wrap back around to like the fundamentals of the mormon church is what it ultimately comes down to is that when he was a teenager you know he was raised in the in the mormon church from you know by a very devout family um he went on mission like youngsters mm. in the mormon church do um and young men it, young men yes and the way that he ultimately kind of gets into the document game is that he starts to realize that there are a lot of documents that the church does withhold from people mm-hmm. in the mormon community and so that is what initially shakes his faith in the Mormon church. Yeah. And he comes to resent kind of the the leadership of the Mormon church so much for kind of, you know, controlling people's beliefs in that way and not yeah. telling the truth that he essentially becomes an atheist. But then that is what becomes kind of like his vendetta. That's where like this whole forging things comes from and where the yeah. salamander letter comes from, which is like his kind of like weaselly way of like undermining the Mormon church by getting them to buy his bullshit to then eventually be able to turn around and be like, see, like I, I made this fucking up, but they were willing to lie to you and cover it all up because you know, whatever. So like, what else are they hiding? Like what other documents are they lying about? Like that are real or not real. Um, My favorite part of it is when he talks about writing the salamander letter and he's like, I thought about originally I was just going to make it just a plain old toad. Like he was like, I just, he was like, I, I just, that's classic. He's like, I just figured, yeah, like we'll go toad. And then he thought, and then I thought like, why not go bigger? And that's when I decided to go with a white salamander. Like that just man just needed to be writing some fanfic on the internet. Yeah. And instead he was just like fucking with the Mormon church. (laughs) Yeah. And so just that, like I think, ruining everyone's lives. That is, I think, the craziest thing about it, which is that people fucking died because this guy just he wanted to fuck with the weasel. Mormons. He's, so, he's yeah. the definition of a shit weasel. Like, yeah, he's just it's so weird because he's so much like he seems very like in the way they paint him. He seems very cowardly mm-hmm. and very like just like. A little introverted, a little, like, very cowardly, but very smart. Like, yeah, easily could smart. have accomplished his goal as a, Actual, in a not murder yeah. way, and a not forge way. Right. Um, 
but like he also thinks he's like this fucking badass like playboy yeah like he can drink all he wants and he won't get drunk and he buys this car and he buys uzis and he has these guns machine and stuff, guns and, just, and him and shannon drive out to the desert and shoot off right, machine and just guns shit. like it's a very yeah there's a very it's so weird, weird there's a very weird snippet i feel like it's in the second episode where like it's like a very it reminded me of like wolf of wall street type thing of like mm. just like two like 80s dudes who are just like have too much money and just like think they're big shots and so they go yeah. out and like buy weird things and like do dangerous shit just to like feel alive like yeah but it was like happening the, within the, like, the mormon level, community and it's yeah so the level of ridiculousness of that of like it the person doing it thinks they're such a badass but on the outside it looks so not badass yes reminded me of the scene in tiger king when what's his face is on the jet ski yes <laughs> it was yes. it's the exact same vibe of yes. just like what the fuck Truly, am i like, watching if you've ever watched wolf of wall street like you have leonardo dicaprio it's freaking jonah hill. and jonah hill who are like out doing all these weird things and just like doing coke the and being fish. crazy eating a goldfish it's like that and there's these weird scenes in the documentary where they do these reenactments of yeah. mark hoffman and shannon like going out and riding around in the electric blue toyota or whatever it is and it looks like it looks like a knockoff of jonah hill and leonardo dicaprio in wolf of wall street but it's like yeah the, it's not but it's like if it's, wolf of wall street was like set in the mormon community of salt lake city (laughs) it's so weird it is so weird it's just such a different like it's such a different culture and like mindset of like like what is like living fast like well and that's fast like, and loose in mormon culture what's is interesting i think is like taking your car to 100 miles per hour <laughs> so that's the kind of interesting thing and i think like that gets to what you're talking about with his kind of weird personality and when you're tr- by the third episode when when it all kind of comes to light and all the puzzle pieces have fit together and now the question becomes like what is his fucking deal I think you're right, which is that, like, he has this weird thing where he is, like, kind of, like, this innocent little Mormon boy. Yeah. Who, like, grew up in this very sheltered situation, came to question everything that he grew up with. And because, again, I truly believe, like, he is a sociopath. And so, like, you know, he believed that he was wronged by the Mormon church because they were lying about all of these things. And so he creates this weird vendetta in his head that he's going to, like, you know, he's going to uncover their bullshit. And then, like, he starts making money, and then the money kind of makes him weird. And like you said, like, he thinks that he's, like, living large, but it's like, you're not. Like, what are you doing? Yeah. You're not taking quaaludes and not being able to walk to your car <laughs> to like your, Leonardo to your DiCaprio. Like it's so it's very weird and it's and it's sad because you're just like, it oh, is honey, what are you doing? He like, took so many people down. So like I was talking about it the like earlier half of this episode with Rust. Rust. He ruins Rust's life. Yeah. Like he ruins his life because he had all this money in on nothing. the McClellan papers. And they were nothing. And they were nothing. And so he and loses his business. He loses that. He loses his business. Like, he loses everything. Yeah. And has to, like, repay this debt that he owes to his credit card company. Yeah. And, like, he spends, like, the rest of his life. I feel like it was only recently, it seemed, yeah. that he, like, has dug himself out of that hole yeah. that freaking Mark Hoffman yeah. put him in, pushed him in. Yeah. And so... so- 
Yeah, it's this crazy thing. And then, yeah, he just like he gets to a point where he pleads guilty and he goes to jail. And And now he's just like chilling in jail. And he did try to kill himself, I think, at one point in jail. Because they make not very good at that. They make, But they make this point that when he tried to kill himself, he like he like (laughs) somehow his like arm got twisted behind his body and then like. Was this, his arm was asleep for so long that his like yeah. arm died? Like he didn't yeah, die, but his got, arm he's died. He's got like a Finding Nemo fin. Yeah, situation. And like he's got a gimpy fin. They make the point in the documentary to be like he can no longer forge another document. Oh right, it's yeah. Like right was hand. that secretly his goal? <laughs> like it's very weird. And it so, is weird. And like poor Dory divorces weird. him eventually. Which yeah, like, she's like. She pretty much right away is out of there. And then as soon, it's 1987, they divorce. I remember reading that date, which is like a year after he's convicted. Because initially she stands by him and she's like, oh, this right. is like, this is all got to be a misunderstanding kind of thing. But then I think once yeah, it all comes once, out. Once it, yeah. Once it all comes once out. Once the chips fall where they may. And once, once he starts cooperating, because they play audio of his interviews with the prosecutors and everything. And I mean, like. The way that he's talking about it when he starts telling them, like, how he did all of these things and why and, like, whatever, like, he's so braggy about it of, like, yeah, he's you so chill. You can tell he he's so proud like, of himself Bundy. for being so smart that he could forge all of these things. And, like, he's getting so much pleasure in, like, telling them how he figured out all of these, like, you know, forging techniques and all of this stuff. Yeah. That, like, you can just tell that there's not an ounce of remorse in this situation. Right. Even though he killed these two absolutely innocent people who had nothing to do with his bullshit. And, like, and so, yeah, I think it's just, it it very quickly becomes clear that he's not worth feeling bad for and he's just a piece of shit. Like, yeah. And, and that's it. That's it. And that's it. It's so, it's a bizarre series, in my opinion. Yeah. That, like, I don't, it's so short, it's so quick, there's only Mm -hmm. three episodes, Yep. so it goes by very fast, like, I did not expect, when I was watching the third episode, I was like, I have at least one more, Right. and then it started, like, kind of wrapping up, and I was like, wait, what? How are we going to drag this out anymore? It's like, oh, we're not, (laughs) we're done. Um, It's very quick, I feel like it doesn't, it just doesn't create enough of a it doesn't do a lot of world building Mm -mm. which it doesn't necessarily have to do but like it doesn't put a totally unversed person Mm -hmm. into the world enough like Mm -hmm. you can't watch it without having a certain amount of background knowledge um or without being like being able to draw a certain amount of conclusions Mm -hmm. like it feels like it really is like important that he is just so obsessed with like proving that the Mormon church is a big phony. Right. It but they only, they spend like two minutes on that. It does. That seems to be the big impetus for him. Right. It doesn't grapple with that enough in my opinion. And I think like, like I think the biggest thing is like you said, there's no, there needed, I think there, it would, it needed a stronger foundation of like, what is this community that this is taking place in? 
you know, yeah. they, they very quickly kind of brush over, like, this is what Salt Lake City is like in the 80s, and, like, this is kind of what Mormonism is, and, like, these are the types of people who yeah. live here. And I think it could have been, like you said, the world building of, like, really immersing the viewer kind of, like, in that w- would have made ultimately made it stronger. But yeah. then, like, yeah, I kept expecting it to dive deeper into the Mormon church side of the story, which yeah. is... and it never it does. It never does. And, like, they it's they never, so, you know, they, yeah. they briefly kind of talk about the fact that they kind of shove the salamander letter under the rug, and, like, they show different, like, clips of the leaders of the church, like, giving interviews and things, and... But it never fully dives into the Mormon church side of it. And I think that's what I kept waiting for. And it never does that. And to your point, it's like if his whole like his whole reasoning for everything, like the impetus behind all of this was his beef that he had with the Mormon church. Like it could have been stronger if it had really like really dived into that I think of yeah. like what that is and like really kind of engaged the Mormon church yeah. like to be like okay well like what is the truth like if if right. like what is like there is warranted skepticism with yeah. the Mormon church of course right um and they don't it's almost like they really just don't want to take a, a side mm-hmm. not that there's a side to take but they don't they just tread very lightly around it and don't try to peg anyone except for Mark Hoffman yes. as a wrongdoer. In they this play situation. it safe in that way of like, yeah, we're right. not going Which, to, yeah, we're not going to, you know, dig too deep into Mormonism. We're not going right. to, we're not going to try to get at any of that kind of, any of those kind of issues behind the skepticism or whether or not that skepticism is founded or anything like that. It's like, let's just pin this all on the very obvious villain in this story, which is Mark Hoffman. Right. And just kind of leave it at that. <laughs> yeah. So that's where I really like, that's where I have a problem with it because as I said in our regular episode this week of the podcast, it's just, misnamed yes you're really misled in the name murdering among the mormons makes it seem so much better than it is not bad yes. but like, you and know what I mean? deeper and yeah. juicier like like i heard that title and lots of stories came to mind like there is lots of fodder there for a good series in a documentary like right the mormons have several leaders who have put hits out on people and made their followers yeah murder people for yeah. them yeah like that is not rare mm-hmm. um but then it's about this weird anomaly in the 80s that is interesting it's certainly fascinating it's a crazy it's certainly story a, a story worth telling yeah um but it's just like told in a way that i feel like they just like fundamentally miss not misunderstood but like well, maybe miss just it's just not told in a way the right way i think because like in the most gripping ultimately way. this is not a it is a murder mystery but it's not like right it's ultimately a documentary about a master forger like that's really what it's about right. It's and the yes, there is murder that occurs as a you know yeah. byproduct of this scheme that he was you know, you know putting into pl- into place for all of these years. 
But yeah, it's like the murder of it and even the bombings to a large degree are are not they're like ancillary to the story. Right. Like they're not the main it's at the end of the day, that's not the juiciest part of it, which right. is crazy to say. Which is crazy to say. Like, I think that one is that makes it hard to deal with this documentary we're so used to murder being and death being like the worst part right but it's vanishing at the cecil hotel like she's dead yeah that's the craziest part yeah or it's like you talk about like the ripper or you know night stalker and it's like the craziest parts of those things are the violence that's committed and the psychology of the person who is doing the violence but it's like in this situation like his psychology of what is interesting and what he's doing is the the forgery side of it is more interesting and more central to the story that they're telling than the murders he committed because yeah because the murders that he committed it was all to cover up the forgery. Like, that's right. what it comes he was, back he's to. Not, he's a serial killer in that he killed multiple people in a row in the same way. Well, technically, but, he's a spree killer. But, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, but that's not, like, he's not actually, he doesn't have that Ted Bundy essence or no, that, like, because he, that serial killer essence of, like, needing to kill. He just did it because he was desperate. Right. Like, ultimately, he's an, he was an animal that was backed into a corner and had the option to either be killed or kill kind of thing, like fight his way out of the corner. And it's like, if he had not, if he had not gotten himself into a situation where he had overpromised with the McClellan collection, like he wouldn't have killed, like it wouldn't, it wouldn't have ever gotten to that level if he didn't, if he hadn't gotten himself into this kind of desperate situation. And so it's like, Yeah, like, he just, he is a killer because he was a forger. Like, it's just, right. it's yeah. weird. Yeah, and that's why, that's another reason why the title and the way this is sort of marketed to us is so misleading. Yes. Because it leads you to think, we're going to be walking into a situation where there's, like, a religious fanatic. Right. Who's a total psychopath serial killer like right. something super nefarious is going on right. and it is nefarious but yeah. not what you're not what you're planning for I it's guess it's like it's like when you write a paper for your english class <laughs> In high yeah. school, and uh-huh. you you title it like something real snappy because you think like you come up with something and you're like, oh, like I'm this is a real attention grabbing title, like this is gonna be really good. And then you turn it in, and your teacher is like, yeah, this didn't like get to the theme of your paper, like you know what <laughs> I mean? Like <laughs> it's when it's the first time someone's like, hey, this all has to tie back to the thesis. And you're <laughs> yeah. Like, oh. Yeah. And the teacher's like, you're on the right track, but like you're trying too hard with the, with the flashy title. <laughs> like that's what it kind of is. Yeah. And I think I'm not, I'm not 100% sure on this. They may like the guy who made this may have made at least one other documentary, oh. but this is one of his first. Okay. I think mostly dealing in, movies oh okay so i don't know if that affects how like he comes at it he does like i said he also comes at it from being raised as a mormon Mm -hmm. Um, which is nothing that says like he had a big falling out with the church or anything no but that that could very easily explain why he doesn't grapple with the mormonism of it all exactly like exactly he has his own you know preconceived notions or his own beliefs that he's 
I'm sure trying to leave out, you know, because documentary yeah, many yeah. makers like they go into it being like, I'm going to leave my voice out of it, like, which we all right. know is like technically impossible. But I think, yeah, he maybe have he maybe like went into it being like, I'm not going to engage with that part of it, but I want right. them to. And this is also coming from two people who are genuinely interested in Mormonism for what it is, which is an interesting religion that is a new, a newer cultural phenomenon right. than, you know, other religions, which makes it just inherently interesting to people like you and I, I think. Right. And there are, yeah. you know, like a lot of newer religions or things that call themselves religions. <laughs> um, Scientology. <laughs> Uh, there, there is that interesting element of that. There is a very fine line between between religion and cult. I don't, I right. don't, I won't go so far to say like, oh, like the LDS Church, like that's a cult. Obviously, yeah, FLDS I, yeah. absolutely yeah. is. But yeah. there are, I know that there are people out there in the world who look at Mormonism and the closed off nature of that religion and church and say like something nefarious is going on there simply because they're not open to outsiders that always anytime like we talked about at the beginning anytime there is that kind of closed off nature you're gonna you're gonna breed some conspiracy theorists who are gonna look at that and say like they must be closed off because they're hiding something right darker and there is also of course one of the biggest um controversies and one of the most interesting things to look at with Mormonism which is polygamy mm. it's not at play in this documentary not at but all <laughs> not because even it's a not, little bit by then it's not a thing like they're no, done with it they're done with it but like they have polygamy to give up the church is has something to... I think that makes non-Mormons look at that church like what are exactly. they doing over there that is like, their so and so has 50 wives what the heck like the <laughs> <laughs> the polygamy of Mormonism is the the OT levels of Scientology. Like it is like yeah. it's the thing that people like you said that people from the outside who can point to they point to it and say that's weird. Like that's right. what makes that you know weird. right off the bat. And like right. that's that's something that's outside of what I am used to, and therefore it is like it's bad. And like there's lots of arguments to be made about polygamy being bad, but like, you know what I mean? Like that's, that's the othering effect of like, Oh, that is that over there is weird. Like, and I have a problem with it. And, but Hey, have you watched sister wife? Cause I have, (laughs) it's fucking nuts. (laughs) It's fucking nuts. Listen, sister wives has made me really, I'm going to, I'm going to come out here with a Kelly McMaster's hot take. I don't think polygamy should be illegal. (laughs) Wow. Like legal because polygamy? Like a youth so you think it should be fully legal for you to be able to marry as many people as you want to. Yeah. Because technically so here's the thing. If I you mean, I guess I guess So if you're I guess not, you run into a tricky scenario I, there, like well, I feel like taxes it's, it's, and yes, like from a, inheritance and shit. Yes. But I think it's also worth maybe stating for any listeners who don't understand kind of where polygamy is with mormonism or just like in general like in the united states is like 
So I feel like there are a lot of people who are like, if polygamy is legal, then how is there a show called Sister Wives? Like, what is that? Like, how does that work? The way you get around it is that you don't legally marry all of them. Right. So like on Sister Wives, he's only married to the first wife. Yes. And then the rest, and you then know, the it's other just three a, are just kind of there. Right. And so like within their family, they are married. But legally, right. they have ceremonies. There is, he lives with them. Right. He like, sleeps with them. Legally and in the eyes of the American law system. He is only married to one woman, but they live right. as if he is married Mary, to multiple. Mary Brown. So, Mary Brown has a gay daughter who is engaged. Oh. The sister wives, the Brown family is actually a lot cooler than you might assume they'd be. Well, so here's the other I thing. I have watched a lot of sister wives. Is <laughs> that the polygamy thing and like we don't have to like this is a whole tangent that we could go off on obviously like we said it plays literally it. zero effect like there is zero factor of it in this documentary right. whatsoever. It's never and the word. That's fine. The, that doesn't. Bother it doesn't. Me. It doesn't play into the story in any way, shape, or form. It's just. It's more so one of those things where it's like you see the word Mormon in the title. If you come for the for the polygamy because you think that that's what it's going to kind of relate mm-hmm. to, you will be sorely disappointed because it has nothing right. to do with that. Right. But it's like you do get polygamy in some of the other murder scandals in the Mormon exactly cho- Mormon church and the Mormon. <laughs> Well, and that was what I was going to say, which is that polygamy and the kind of dark side of what polygamy and the kind of evil side of what polygamy can be plays a much stronger role in the cult offshoots of Mormonism like FLDS. Like that is Warren Jeff's. You get into a lot of child bride yes, scenarios. Exactly. And so I think that I do not support. That, that I, should not be legal. <laughs> but I think that that's consenting the, adults. That, I don't know. That a lot of times is what people think of when they hear the word right. polygamy. They think of the child bride scenario, which plays into a lot of cults. A lot of cult leaders do the hello, oh, talk yeah. about the cult episode in Criminal exactly. Minds. Like with exactly. what's his face. So it's like it's a that's a much stronger kind of taboo version of what polygamy is. There's a long, complicated history of what polygamy really is and and mormonism my if and you might be able to correct me if i'm wrong about this but i believe that polygamy stops being like a church sanctioned thing in mormonism when we get to kind of the modern era mm-hmm. and they are looking for recognition from the Amer- from the US government yes. to be yes. like you are a legit religion and we will give you tax exempt status yes Yes. So they give up that element of yeah. it in any in official May, sense. It goes away. Yes. But you do like like on Sister Wives, they're not a fundamentalist right. brand. Like they're not fundamentalist Mormons. They're just regular everyday Mormons. Um but they still practice this. Their parents like each one of the spouses in that show, their parents had multiple wives. Mm-hmm. Um it's a and they're all about thing. it. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it is a cultural thing. Um, it's yeah. We don't need to talk about polygamy anymore. I don't know. <laughs> but it's not a path that has nothing to do with. But, it, but I think the point that you made, kind of that sent us down that path, is a good one. Which is that, like, I think what that is one of the Mormon buzzwords that, like, again, if you are going into this documentary thinking it's going to be a documentary more largely a, and generally about. The Mormon church that is not what this is yeah um no. and that's not the not story that you're going to get there are plenty of other things that you can consume to get you that kind of story yeah. but this is not it it's a very 
very specific story in the history of the Mormon community. Um, and, and it doesn't, this story, the, this, that story is the focus and, and Mark Hoffman is the focus, not really the Mormon church at large. So, you know, the more we talk about it, the less I think I liked it. So that's a good segue. So I've been thinking all day (laughs) about how I'm going to rank this out of five stars. I think I gave Vanishing at the Cecil Hotel three and a half, or did I give it yeah. three? Something like that. Somewhere in Somewhere there. in the threes. Um, I think that I have to give this one like a two and a half out of five. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that the reason for it is because the story itself is very interesting. Yes. Mark Hoffman is fascinating, and the whole story of just kind of how it goes down is wild but like we've talked about i think i think it could have done a better job of really kind of um looking at the other side of the story from the perspective of the mormon church and kind of the role that they played in any of this at all or all of it um from the kind of the document standpoint and i just i wanted them to give like a little bit meatier of an explanation of just kind of like the stake that the Mormon church had in the game. Like I just, I, that is missing to me of like really what was at stake for them. They allude to it like a couple of times, but I don't think they do a great job of like fully illustrating it. Yeah. And that's what weakens it for me. And they don't, they don't give you like, we see these pictures of Mark at the end through the years. They don't really give us any sort of, resolution on how the church dealt with the fallout of it proved to be a fortress. yes that's a good um, point i didn't think about that like i don't know they just it's just very incomplete and mm-hmm. as i'm thinking about it like maybe this is like benefit of the doubt maybe they had bigger plans and covid really put a damper on <laughs> all of it i don't know yeah um, but knowing that it's the guy who directed Napoleon Dynamite, like they probably would have given like whoever was funding this would give him more time to like <laughs> make what he wanted to make and tell the story. Yeah. Um, yeah, it just I could have used maybe at least one more episode so that they could take a little bit more time to just kind of pull out the stories they wanted to pull out and yeah. give a little bit further background and just build the world a little bit better and yep. fill everything out a little bit better. Yep. Um, it's like the Cecil Hotel where they tried to like give us too many storylines mm-hmm. and they fill things like they fill things out like pretty okay in Cecil Hotel. Yeah. Um, in terms of like background, but <laughs> it's just like so much like this one is sort of like the exact opposite where like you get like one one or two through lines and they're very sinewy and frail and thin. Yeah. Yep. And it's just not quite as full as as you might want it to be. Yeah, I think that I I think that the piece that you're missing is you is the church's perspective in all of this. Like yeah. and I think that that is And I'm sure absolutely they weren't giving comment. Like Whoa, if, sure. if they if Jared has asked for commentary from them they weren't going to give it See, or if but, like, they I wish were going to give it, it was going to be sort of spin doctored and like, I wish crazy. that they had at least Not acknowledged crazy, that though, which is yeah. just to say they only acknowledge that Mark doesn't respond. Right. And I wish that they had just gotten into it a little bit. And if they, like you said, if they couldn't deliver, which I'm sure they wouldn't have been able to, or like you said, the church would have given them some kind of like generic statement about the whole thing. 
at least then it would have just it would have sort of filled that that kind of hole in the story of of kind of what the perspective of it but you're right i didn't even think about the fact that like there is absolutely zero discussion or allusion to what the real fallout of his whole thing in the church and in the mormon community was like you get the fallout from the people you know from the specific people that were affected by it like the friends and his wife and alan rust and they you know they show an interview of steve christensen's wife like talking about how she doesn't think about you know she doesn't forgive him or whatever but like but yeah there's no larger kind of conversation they, they they again they kind of allude to it a little bit which is that like you know these crises of faith that the pe- that people had because of whatever but it's so like just over the sur- like the surface and i wish that yeah. they had kind of gotten into that a little bit more yeah so what would you rank um, it then i would rate it i think i'd also give it two and a half um yeah it was, I mean, it was entertaining. I watched it all. I watched it all in one sitting. Mm. I didn't hate it. There was plenty to, like, text you about that was, like, yeah. silly. Yeah. Um, and Shannon was certainly an interesting character. Oh, Shannon. The and true really, star of Murder Among the Mormons. Yeah. Um, and I think it, like, drew me along because I was just kind of waiting for it to become what I wanted it to be. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't watch it again. I mean, I wouldn't watch most documentaries again, but. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't necessarily recommend it to anybody. No, I would say like in the true crime universe, it's not very true crimey. Is that does that make sense? Like when you yeah. in the sense of like if you're thinking like when you think like true crime documentaries, like you're thinking like your Ripper, your Night Stalker, you're thinking like that kind of stuff, or even like Confessions Killer, like that stuff. This yeah. like is. It's like it's watered down. True crime? Yeah, it just it doesn't like like where we've said where it really tries to make it like I mean the obvious he does murder people and that yes. is a crime like that does yes. happen and it's tragic and not, it's sad and that's it's not up. like the main that's not his major crime which is the forgeries yeah and. I, I don't need murder to make it an interesting crime documentary. Like, I watched How to Fix a Drug Scandal, and that right, is fascinating. Right, right. Like, and there's no physical violence in that at all. Yeah. And there's no, there's no, like, big, like, religious overtones. Mm-hmm. Um, so you don't need murder. No. To make something intriguing. And this does have murder, but the murder's not what makes it intriguing. Mm-hmm. But the documentary, the title, just, like, the whole setup of it is leading you to believe that that is what makes it intriguing. Right. But it's not. Yep. And so if they had just sort of focused it on the forgery and sort of this man, like instead of trying to tease out and let us believe that he wasn't a forger. Right. Like they tease out, does he survive? He was this victim. Da, 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 da. Mm -hmm. Like it's not until the end of episode two that you are confirmed that he did this. Yeah. And he was forging it. Yep. Like, that's more than two-thirds of the, sh- of the series. Yeah. Is just, like, stringing you along and not really having you focused on the whole point. Yeah. Um, I think, like, I mean, I, w- I don't know if I would go so far as to say, like, I wouldn't recommend it. I just would say <laughs> I would put that kind of asterisk at the end of, a re- of yeah. it to just say, like, watch it it's in like you said it's interesting it's a quick watch like it's not like anything too 
you know, it doesn't like it doesn't drag along or like, you know, anything like right. that. Like it's it's a pretty quick kind of to the point punchy thing. But I like I said, I would put that asterisk at the end of it of just like if you are looking for it to be, you know, a really kind of um like a really kind of like in-depth examination of you know what would typically fall into the true crime arena that's not what it is and then the same thing of like if you're going if you came to it for the from the mormonism like if if you are interested in that aspect of it again you might be disappointed because it's not really about that either watch something else like that's just what what it is (laughs) it's a true crime documentary for beginners like (laughs) this is for your baby 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 (laughs) true crime fans that that's like probably really like you're not gonna dive straight into a night stalker. No, because that'll give you nightmares. You're not gonna that'll drive give you nightmares. This will not give you nightmares. You're not. This gonna... is not spooky. True. It's not creepy. It has none of that. It's a very it's it's true PG. crime. It's true crime on training wheels. Like it's yeah. just and yeah. it's it's very interesting. It's told in a compelling way. They throw those, you know, reenactments in there for, you know, shits and giggles and fun right. and, and stuff. And the interviewees are interesting. It's interesting, but yeah, it's, it's not, not a lack of like people. Yeah. And if you're, I think it's just like mishandled on the director and producer end. Yeah, and I think, yeah, yeah, I think that that's a, that is honestly that is the best way to sum it up. Of just like if you were just kind of starting to dip your toe into the true crime world and you're interested in this stuff, like for, I think you know for potentially maybe some of our listeners, which is just like. You like Criminal Minds, you're a fan of Criminal Minds, but Criminal Minds obviously is a fiction version of this kind of stuff. It interests you, you're entertained by it, and so you're starting to kind of get into the documentary side of like these real true life stories. This is a good one to kind of start with before you get into The Night Stalker or you get into I'll be gone in the dark. Like those are some mm-hmm. those are some heavy ass like true crime documentaries. Right. And, stick with you. <laughs> and like yeah. they will haunt your dreams. So <laughs> if you are not quite to that point, um, this is a this is much more like kind of palatable like documentary to watch. Yeah. So yeah. Um I had thought of something to say, but I immediately forgot it. Damn. I, yeah. I bet it was a gem of a thought. Yeah. Well, well, that's our thoughts on that. Um, that's our thoughts on that. Oh, I know what I was going to say. Yeah. So I was reading some articles about it after I watched it, mm. and I saw that it was hypothesized that Netflix was trying to get similar successes they got with Tiger King from this because oh. it has some quirky okay it's not that nuts no (laughs) no would you categorize tiger king as true crime yes yeah i mean i guess you have yeah you have to yeah there were crimes committed again no murder but still very interesting well tiger king no proven murder (laughs) true i'm just gonna say don don still hasn't been found so i'm just putting that out there um, um yeah it's just not it's not it's not the same magic if formula that's the what tiger were, king was yeah like if that's what they which, were going for they needed to pick a, a more batshit story like i mean it's a, right. cra- it's a crazy crazy story never but, you will never they'll never match tiger king there is you can't. not 
There's nothing out there like that. That was lightning in a bottle. You're never going to. It was It was such a specific time of oh, the yeah. world's existence. Oh, yeah. Like, suddenly we were all at home. Like, yeah. what do we have to watch? Let's watch this it, Tiger King it thing. It could not. It is a thing unto of its, like, self that, right. like, will never be able to be replicated. And it just, it happened to, like you said, drop at a very specific and fortuitous time where yep. that again will never be replicated like there's yeah. no the the circumstances in which tiger king blew up is never going to they're never gonna be able to do that again and no. you like like there's nothing you, you can't even to. you can't even <laughs> compare anything to tiger king like there's just no, no it point. is a world of its it's its own thing it's its own i, thing. I wonder like because it has mildly mormon quirky people in it and it's it came out at a very similar time of year we're coming up on our one year anniversary of being home yeah if that's what like was putting it into people's minds that they thought oh this is netflix trying to do tiger king again like see i get much more so i don't know if it's legit or not but the vibes that i get for this is actually more akin to evil genius did you ever watch evil do you know evil Mm, genius i did i just oh that's so weird you bring that up I was just watching an episode of 911 Lone Star where they <laughs> Some do. Some of a bomb vest? <laughs> they do the evil genius crime. Mm-hmm. Like Ryan Murphy does a story that's sort of based on that. Yeah. And like a guy's like robbing a bank. And yeah. he's like, ah, don't, I, don't call the police. Like, yeah. blah, 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 they're going to blow me up. I don't know. They yeah. just like pick me up. I don't know why, but I feel like. Yeah, this is the same kind of level of twisty, turny, trying to uh, the uh, like. Yeah, di- you know, Evil less genius is better though. Oh, sure, absolutely. <laughs> well, because Evil Genius is much more complicated in the like. It's who's literally guilty. about an evil, genius, like who's guilty, too. who's not, what's true, what's not. The lady with a body in her. At freezer. the end, <laughs> at the end of this, <laughs> there is absolutely zero question of who is guilty and who is like. Right, Mark. There's no question of his guilt or who like there the water the water is not that muddy at the end of this um but I, to me for some reason like that seems a little bit more of a better comparison than like yeah. tiger king like yeah but I, again yes. like i think netflix has figured out that there is a true crime audience and so oh yeah they are not going to stop producing this type of things i'm sure we're going to get a new one next month i can't wait to see what it's about <laughs> They've been, I mean, they've been doing that. I mean, exactly. I've never watched The Keepers came out before I had even oh, yeah. dove into crime and true crime. I like, know. there's a, And I've often thought, should I go back and watch it? But I'm like, no, it's too late. There's and a It might bunch, creep me out too much. There's a bunch. And we were talking about this the other day, how like, you know, Netflix learns what you like or whatever. Right. And like Netflix definitely knows like on my profile that like true crime is a big part of what I watch. So I'm getting a lot of like you know, Gabriel Hernandez and, like, Disappearance of Madeline McCann McCann. and, like, all of that stuff. Don't fuck with cats. And I feel like, yes, like, I I haven't watched either of those, but I'm just, like, those feel past to me. Like, I don't... (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I gotta watch what comes out now. Yeah. And and that's the thing is, like, because they are... Because they are rolling them out with such frequency, I feel like you don't... We we don't need to scrape the bottom of the barrel to the (laughs) stuff that was relevant two three years ago or whatever maybe someday if there's a drought netflix doesn't come out with a new one we'll go back to one of the the older ones but like i do eventually like some of them 
some of them have sort of stood the test of time in terms of quality and people still bring them up yeah. like um the keepers that one comes up a lot yeah in like podcasts i listen to and stuff like i may eventually watch that but i'm not probably not going to watch the disappearance of madeline mccann no um, like there are a handful that are sort of it gives me real Disney Channel original movie vibes where there's a new one every month. <laughs> and, and like, is it good? Is it bad? Yeah. We don't know. Yeah. And then occasionally you get a Xenon girl of the 21st century and you're like, yes. <laughs> let me watch that. And let me tell everyone to watch it. Yeah. I think like, I think for, for the two of us, like we've talked about, like obviously like we didn't review the ripper in a real like in-depth way we talked about it at the end of an episode of the unknown subject obviously so we kind of got into it but i think like i think you and i were both like very surprised by the quality of the ripper and like it and the ripper is not a netflix original oh, or it's, it's marketed it might be like billed as one okay but they bought it from okay. Uh, or they're the the U.S. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's it's a. I it might be BBC. Okay, like it's which would explain why it's so good. But I think like yeah. I think I don't know. But what I'm saying is like you know having watched that and also watching Confessions Killer because Confessions Killer is good also. Um, and I think like those are ones that like I hold to a higher rating. So like you know. Cecil Hotel, this one, like they're okay, but like when I'm, I would put Cecil Hotel just a little bit above this. And if I gave Cecil Hotel a two and a half, bump it up to a two point seven (laughs) five because it is just it is better than yes Mormons. I think so. I think it's better Um, than this one. Just but just like you said, just by a little bit, but it's more ambitious and just a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Um. Well, yeah. Well, yeah. So anyway, um, thank you, patrons, for joining us here at um, our Patreon and for joining us for another true crime review. We always, uh, we've enjoyed doing them so far um, and we'll keep doing... Uh, all two of them. All two of them. We'll keep <laughs> um, we'll keep doing it as we discover new true crime documentaries. Like we said, we don't know what Netflix has on the horizon for yeah, us. What's next? Um, if they don't, for some reason, or someone else, who knows? It doesn't Maybe have to HBO be Netflix. We'll have yeah, our next, it could be. It could our be next anybody. Treat. Um, Although you don't have HBO. Yeah, but maybe Netflix is really our common streaming service, huh? It is, but we could do Hulu if Hulu had something. Okay. Or Amazon Prime. We just we haven't looked at the other streaming services, honestly, to see what they've got. I feel got like Amazon hasn't even tried to be in the true crime game. Not really, I don't think. It's really Netflix and HBO's game. Yeah. Um so yeah, so we'll we'll poke anyway. around. We'll poke around and we'll see what maybe would be next on the agenda for us to watch and review. On um, the agenda. So <laughs> So watch this space, watch the Instagram, um, and, you know, we'll let you know when there's new stuff. But thank you in the meantime for joining us and listening. Um, Don't forget also another benefit of being a patron is that when we do get to that time of the season where we have bonus episodes um, of the unknown subject, you'll get to listen to them two whole days early over here on the Patreon. Um, So although we are currently caught 
in the slog that is the back half of season four of Criminal Minds. We're we getting there. Really We're getting there. We're just a few weeks away. Enching our way towards a bonus episode, which we will rank all of our favorite, our top five favorite seasons, uh, our favorite episodes of season four. Uh, so you'll get to listen to that on the same day that the season finale drops of season four. Um, so that'll be fun. Um, but yeah, uh, thank you for your support over here on Patreon. Um, and we'll see you next time. We'll see you around for another Thanks, true crime review. Bow, 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 bow. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>